0: It's really great to be here, and it's also a lot of fear and trepidation, and it's not because I'm at Calvary, per se, but because I have the responsibility of proclaiming God's Word and proclaiming it right and accurately and clearly, and um, I don't want to get in the way of that. And so before I start, I just wanted to, st- uh, I actually already started, right? But I wanted to establish a few things that are essential. Um, and it, none of it, I know none of it's going to come as a surprise to you, because Pastor family even prayed about mentioning some of it. But first and foremost, God is the authority, the only authority. There's only one throne in the universe, and it's his. He hadn't hidden himself from us Corona serves him. Evil serves him. The devil serves him. They don't act out of his control. He allows them and he will turn it around. Some of it only after this earth is gone. But it will all be undone and done the way he always designed it to be. He's told us clearly who He is. He's told us clearly what He expects of us. And He's told us exactly what will happen if we ignore Him. So let's be clear. He has every right to require or demand anything He wants of us. Anything. Okay? Second, today this authority of His is revealed to us in His Word, His written Word. I've been reminding our little church family a lot recently that if you claim to love God, but don't love his word, there's a huge disconnect in your life. In other words, you're lying. Because God and his word are inseparable. So it's impossible for you to say, I love God, if you do not love his word. And as Blackaby said, if we're true and serious followers of Jesus Christ, we have basically two duties as the lumps of clay we are. Remain in his hand and remain moldable. That's all our responsibilities. Stay in his hand, stay moldable. So I wanna try to unpack a little bit 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And by the way, I love what Pastor Nathaniel also said about worshiping through offerings. I'm always reminding our people, we worship as we sing, we worship with our fellowship, we worship through prayer, we worship through our giving, but the top way we worship is paying attention to God's voice recorded right here for us and then doing what he says. That's worship. Obedience is worship. And 1 Corinthians 15.34 in the HCSB version says, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that your spirit is is working. Father, I pray that every heart that is prepared, chose to prepare itself to receive your word, will hear your spirit speaking to them through your word. Don't let me get in the way, Lord. May they hear your voice, and may it do the work that only your living, powerful word can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a story for you. It's about a couple serving, working in Africa. Their their last name is the Owens. There are of course many ways to die in this valley. Mosquitoes carry malaria, crocodiles wait in rivers, mambas and cobras drop from rafters. Their life in North Luangwa is never easy. Drinking water from the muddy river has to be filtered and then boiled for 20 minutes to avoid dysentery. Meals are cooked over a campfire or in a primitive stove. Supplies are hard to come by. The Owens' work day begins at 5 a.m. while hyenas are still whooping in the dark valley. Solar batteries run the lights and two computers in the hut where Mark and Delia catch up on work until the staff arrives at 7. They've sacrificed a great deal for Africa. Delia's father and both of Mark's parents have died since a couple came here. Delia missed her twin brother's wedding as well as most of the funerals and holiday gatherings that hold families together. Do they ever think about calling it quits? If people like us give up, says Mark, it tells the world there isn't any hope. Now that's an impactful story, but what's really the most amazing about this story is that all these sacrifices Mark and Delia made, everything they did in Africa was studying hyenas. They're not even Christians. They wrote a book called The Cry of the Kalahari, and they were working on a sequel. This is from Reader's Digest 20-some years ago. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. The ESV really is even a little more pointed in what it says. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So we can kind of meld the two together. Do the right thing and wake up from senseless spiritual stupor like you know you should. Don't keep sinning, stop. People are clueless, having no idea about who the God of the Bible is nor about his desire that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's a disgrace. And Paul basically says to the Corinthian church, shame on you. And he's right. It's shamefully tragic that there are people around you right here in Sao Paulo today and around me that have no idea why Jesus is controversial or why he died. Just last month, our daughter Caitlin was here with her future husband getting married in June. He came down for a week to see where she was born and grew up. And I took them downtown one day, uh, took them to the Catedral da Sea first. I've been there hundreds of times uh, with groups. Uh, and there's one thing that is really striking is a life size glass coffin with the body of Jesus Christ laying in it. And then Mary standing behind him, weeping, looking at him with a sword through her heart. And I've seen people there kneeling, putting money in. I saw a grandpa there one day with his little grandson teaching him how to pray. But we know the why. And I go there and my heart is broken because of the blindness. And then we go up to the top of the Italia building and we go outside, and we walk around, and we look at buildings for no, with no end in sight. Buildings. If every building was a person, there would be thousands. But there are thousands of buildings. And I can't go up there anymore but not see nothing but lost souls because every one of those buildings is full of people who don't know about God, who don't know about Jesus. It's brutal. And I was telling Nathaniel, you know, I'm getting older, I don't have very many years left. And there's so much to do. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul doesn't read a beat around the bush like usual. He's dealing with the doubt over the real bodily resurrection of Christ and also of all human beings. And he's talking to God's church at Corinth. And right in the middle of his exposition, he grabs these believers by their shoulders and gives them a hard shake. In a quick read, nearly all of us are deeply shaken with what he says, or we ought to be. We're convicted because we know we're not sharing the good news the way we ought to. And that's a good thing. It's good to be bothered. It's good to feel uncomfortable in our hearts. That shows that the Holy Spirit is alive and well in us because he's convicting us. But we've got to do something about it. But the first thing we need to understand about this truth, about people not knowing what the Bible teaches about God and his plan and Jesus, is that that's not the problem. It's not the root problem. Actually, it's just a symptom. And Paul starts, verse 34, revealing the cause for this symptom. Just think about it a little bit. You know, the HCSB says, come back to your senses. Well. Obviously, that implies you walked away. You can't come back if you didn't walk away. The ESV says, wake up from your drunken stupor. I mean, come on, 99.9% of the people who get drunk did it to themselves. Nobody forced them to get drunk. They got drunk. They have to wake up. They made themselves that way. They're the ones responsible. We Christians have allowed ourselves to drift into a senseless, drunken stupor spiritually. We're spiritually lazy. There's only one God-hunting option for us, to wake back up. Paul doesn't give us any wiggle room, does he? He does what more of us as serious followers of Jesus Christ ought to do as we practice the one another's. Call it what it is, sin. And then say, stop. You need to stop. Stop sinning by not passing along the knowledge of God to others. Don't miss this. We are sinning when we're not using the word and our words to share the good news. One of the verses that bothers me most of all the verses in the Bible is James 4, 17. For the one, for you know, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. It's like, I already have so much trouble not doing wrong things. Now, even if I don't do what I'm supposed to, it's a sin. Can we just scratch that one? It doesn't work that way. But again, when we're not using God's word and our words to share the good news, it's just a symptom. And the verse itself is actually a two-edged sword because at the same time that Paul grabs our attention with the sledgehammer observation, regarding all the lost who have no knowledge about God, he's also talking about some of us. Yep, he's basically saying, what in the world is wrong with you, church? You're God's church. Have you lost your senses? Don't you realize that a bunch of you are sinning because you're pretty much clueless about the God you claim to serve and follow? So he's also telling us as believers to stop sinning by being out of our senses spiritually. And that's why he was so frustrated that he would even have to write chapter 15. He's reminding them, yeah, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was seen by this and this and this and this person. I heard his voice, he's alive. We're not gonna rise if he didn't rise. What's the matter with you guys? Why should he write to something about something that they should have known so well already and were doubting? So it's a two-edged sword. There is the attention grabbing thing that yes, a lot of people don't have the knowledge of God and it's our responsibility. But a lot of us don't have the knowledge of God like we ought to. And we're in the church. I brought this little gift box along Uh, A good friend gave it to me a long time ago, and he already told me what was in it. It was just a token symbol thing, so I'd just never open it, because it's like, you know, whatever. It's just a little, it's, I'm kidding. Who does that, right? Some of you were thinking, huh, why? If you get a present, even if you know what's in it, you open it. You take advantage of it. But basically, it's what a lot of Christians do with the greatest gift of all, salvation. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Look. Well, what does it mean? Well, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm in? I'm not going to hell? Well, explain. What is regeneration? What is justification? What? I don't know. We don't know. And there it is. Many Christians have very little idea about what biblical Christianity is. Way too many of us don't know the first thing about what it really means to have received Christ. And we don't care enough to dive deeper. We leave that to the pastors, missionaries, church leaders. The only thing that matters is, hey, I'm in. You know, this week I saw an interview, they had her face blotted out, but it was one of the um, it's hard to say it in English. I had to write it down actually. Illegal corona parties. You know, the baladas clandestinas. You know, they're interviewing on their way out. No social distancing, hardly any clothes, no mask, you know. And they're saying, you know, don't you realize how many people are dying here? I'm a math guy, so I see the numbers this week. Somebody in Brazil died every 30 seconds, almost every day this week. Every 30 seconds. And that's just of corona. You know, it's like we've forgotten everything else. But that's real. So you know what this young gal's answer was? Because he said, there are people dying all over. You could be spreading. She says, I'm not the one dying. I wanted to reach into my TV and grab her. And I want to shake her and say, wake up. What's the matter with you? Start caring. But can we condemn her? If by our inaction, we're basically saying the same thing, except in a reality that's a lot worse than Corona. If it's, hey, I'm safe. So the problem with missions today is you and me. We don't see everyone around us as lost souls, spiritually dead, in mental darkness, and they need us. We're the light. We don't try to develop our practical holiness. We're rarely doing the most basic things that are expected of us as those who don't own ourselves, but we're bought for God with Jesus' blood as Revelation 5 says. Most of us don't obey command number one of missions in Matthew nine thirty-eight, which is simply pray earnestly that the Lord will send. The Lord of the harvest will send workers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. That's the first command for missions. And then the second one, and Pastor Nathaniel mentioned this, you know, reproduce. Through making more followers of Jesus Christ. And I know you guys already know this that in that, you know, go and make disciples, go isn't the command, make is the command. We're always going, especially in Sao Paulo. As you're in all your goings, comings, and goings, make followers. Our brand new BMM Baptist Missions president said this near the end of last year. The vast majority of people across the world don't have the confidence of a gospel foundation in their lives that causes them to say, God's in control and I know where I'm going to spend eternity. The answer isn't medicine. The answer isn't worldly attempts at reconciliation. The answer is the gospel. Church is living out the truth about who Jesus is and what he did and individual Christians sharing Christ across the planet. And I love that, but unfortunately I realize that his statement actually includes many of today's believers. I hear Christians all around me being so afraid, depressed, just wanting this to all end and go away. And I'm not trying to be a skeptic or cruel or anything, but we ought to be asking our perfect father to keep using it to wake people up, to wake up lost souls. What an opportunity for missions. It's a unique opportunity in history right now. With social media we have and the pandemic at the same time, the way we can reach people in so many places, So the question is, is the gospel, Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, a solid enough foundation in your life today? Are the facts that our Savior God is in absolute control of every atom in this vast universe and you know where you're spending eternity making a difference in how you're living We can't keep holding on to our worldly baseless fears and be very useful to God because those fears paralyze us. They skew our vision and they control us. I, you know, I was thinking back, I don't know, it was, I think it was at the end of last year with cable TV and knowing more than one language understanding just a little bit of Spanish too. I mean, there were like 13 news stations and I'm just flipping through them, and every one of them is talking about the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine. It's here. It's, it's going to solve everything. And I thought to myself, man, if one of them came on with breaking news, you know, the creator of our universe said, I've got, a, I've got the solution that'll solve way more than just coronavirus. They wouldn't even Nobody would pay any attention. If we were able to put salvation in a vaccine, a lot of people would say, I don't want it. They would. People are putting their hope in a vaccine, but not in Jesus Christ. And we're the only ones that can make a difference. So we need to wake up and realize that in order to ensure that all have knowledge of God, which is the end goal, First and foremost, we need to confirm that we aren't lacking or ignorant of biblical, correct knowledge of God in our own lives, which is the symptom we need to get rid of. Because if we do not get rid of that symptom, world evangelism, my friends, is a fantasy. And there's one evangelist in the Bible that's hardly ever mentioned. Well, he's really unique, well-known, even admired, except not for his evangelism. But when you look at his life as an example of everything we're talking about here, with just three words, he's described as a guy who walked with God. That's it. But I think we'd all be able to describe what those three words ought to look like in our lives. I think we all know, as believers, what it means to walk with God with God. Here's part of Genesis 5, 21 to 24 in a more little translation. Enoch walked habitually with God for 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God and he was no more for God took him. And it's confirmed in Hebrews eleven fifteen. He was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. The nice thing is we don't have to speculate at all about how Enoch pleased God and why he was approved through his faith because we've read all but two more verses in the whole Bible that talk about Enoch. There's only two left. And here's what they say. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. And here's what he said. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. (laughs) The book of Jude Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now remember, he lived not too long, relatively speaking at least, before the great flood. And we know how things were before the great flood. So would you have liked this guy walking around saying stuff like that if you lived then? Hey, stop being so ungodly. You're an ungodly person doing ungodly things and saying ungodly things in an ungodly way and you're doing and saying all this ungodliness against God. Wake up, because his judgment's coming. (laughs) What a torment. Can you imagine hearing that all the time? I guarantee you, and I didn't say it once, he was walking with God for 300 years after Methuselah was born, which was when he was 65. I mean, I started thinking about that and imagining him going against evil, that we know got even worse. And Enoch obviously could care less what anybody thought about him except God. But again, don't forget why he was saying all that. He had a habit of walking with God. And how long did that habit last? His whole life, right? So I, I'm imagining Enoch getting on everybody's nerves and tormenting them with truth. And I'm known as a pastor shato, you know, they only admit that it's really love when I have to be gone for a couple months and they miss my DC, you know. I know I'm annoying. I, you know, I'm Pastor Sledgehammer sometimes. And I tell them, I, I'd, I'd love to just be your buddy. But if I don't hammer you, he's going to hammer me. Guess what? <laughs> but I was thinking about all that and, and Enoch tormenting them with truth. And I was reminded of one of the most shocking scenes I've ever, ever read about, which sadly today is easy to imagine happening. And the Lord challenged me and said, Dave, this is the type of person that I want you to be. Here's part of Revelation 11, eight to 10. And their dead bodies, two witnesses that God sent, will lie in the street where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. What? And I mean, that makes perfect sense now. People from all languages and nations will watch right on their cell phones. They'll be able to watch. And all those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and give each other gifts. Why? Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. It just blows my mind. So that's what walking with God and pleasing God could look like. And since I truly know God, that's how I need to be. Maybe I don't always want to be that way, but I need to be that way. I need to make sure I'm being noticed for being different because Jesus made me, me, Dave Santos, noteworthy. And he said to me, now you're worthy. You're noteworthy because of me. Go get noticed. I'm the light of the world. You guys don't hardly even know me, but I'm a walking miracle. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be a missionary. By the way, young kids, teenagers, Jesus says the same thing to you. It's not just for old people. It's not just for pastors and missionaries. It's for everyone, young and old, who follows Jesus Christ. Our daughter works at a high-end hair salon, surrounded by the utmost worldliness, Last week she was feeling a little sick. The owner was there and he was making fun of her. Oh, you're probably pregnant. And she goes, no, I'm a virgin still. One of the words girls are most afraid to say in guys, right? Stand out, be different. But I can fool myself if I'm not renewing my mind. Every day, and reminding myself it's a daily battle and challenge. In order to be the man that God requires me to be, I have to face the hard facts that at times I'm going to offend people I care about. It's inevitable. I don't go around trying to, I'm not that shot to. But it's inevitable. And also, that means I have to confront anyone who's embracing sin, whether it's an unsaved friend or it's a pastor. That means I can't choose to keep my mouth shut just to avoid tension. It's uncomfortable. But there are things that we can't tolerate. Now I'm not talking about being rude or harsh or insensitive, but we can't ever water down God's truth. Never, no matter the cost, no matter who we're talking to, no matter what it might do to our reputation or any other consequence, which today can literally mean our freedom, right? We could easily go to jail. What should we do if we do? (laughs) Pass on the knowledge of God. What a great mission field. Not that I'm saying, put me in jail. But to be perfectly honest, I need this wake up call every day in my own life because the end of this battle won't happen till the end of my life. There's no such thing as a spiritual parking lot. So trust me, you're not alone. Can I just encourage and challenge you a little bit? Do the hard things for a long time. Yes, the humdrum, not fun things. Read your Bible every day. Spend time in prayer. Be patient and choose joy as you submit to his will in your trials. Trust. Obey. There really is no other way to be happy in Jesus. I mean, that's perseverance. It's not glamorous. It's faithfulness. It's just, it's what God expects. In order for missions to happen as God designed, we have to focus on our first mission, to know him so we live like Jesus. That's the essence of the deepest lesson in the Last Supper, actually. If you want to study John 13 deeply, it'll be a lot of fun. Peter's challenge in a nutshell in in the beginning of 2 Peter saying, you got to keep getting to know God and obey him for all your life. That's how you'll become more like him, being able to love your Christian brothers like you should and the lost like you should. There's seven qualities there that are built on one another. And you can go backwards and deconstruct them and realize that If I'm, I cannot love the lost if I don't know about God. And I've gotta do these things in between too. And they've gotta not just be in me, but constantly growing. So it all comes down to how you wanna be remembered. And I know how I wanna be remembered. Just because I like sports doesn't mean that's all I like. Doesn't mean my brains are in my biceps. I mean, I don't have much of a brain, so that doesn't say much about my bicep. Anyway, but I want to be remembered as a man who never gave up the fight to be more godly, the fight against my own flesh, to be more holy, to be a better Christian man, a better husband, a better father, a better vovo. I've been married almost 39 years and I'm praying that God helps me to see the detail, the little things in Jan. To speak words of affirmation. To love her better than I did before. I need that. I want to be remembered as one who never quit contending for the faith, for sound doctrine or standing for absolute biblical truth, even if it's by myself. For condemning sin, but always loving all other people, no exceptions. For offering grace and hope and forgiving people that nobody thinks deserve it. For being absurdly generous and blessing invisible people with my words and on and on. And you know what? If scoffers celebrate my death, and give presence to each other because finally all, oh, finally that Santos guy, he's, he's gone. He's gonna stop tormenting us. Better yet. Maybe a face or a name popped up in your mind during this message. Someone you know who as of today would die without Jesus. Be intentional in creating opportunity to plant a seed as you pray and prepare buy him a book to give as a gift tell them your story it doesn't have to be a big huge glamorous story there has to be a difference from before to now tell them your story god will use you heavenly father thank you thank you for our indestructible hope because jesus christ is our anchor that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, help us, because of our knowledge of you, to have that joy and overflow with hope so that others can also receive it. And join us in the mission of sharing your truth with lost souls. Thank you for Calvary and the lighthouse they are, not just here in Campo Balu, but in so many places because of every light that is part of Calvary and shines where you've placed them. Lord, may they shine brighter all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.